0: Welcome to the Conservation Today Show. We interview people about our environment, and I am your host, Francis Etherington. Today, I'm going to speak with Will Falk. Now, about a year ago, Will was on this show talking about community rights and the rights of nature. Currently, Will and his friend, Max Wilbert, are occupying the site of an approved mine in Nevada near Oregon's southern border. Will and Max are camped there and are inviting others to join them on this beautiful public land threatened with a huge open pit mine for lithium. Lithium is used to make long-lasting batteries, batteries used in non-fossil fuel applications, such as electric car batteries and solar panel batteries. The mine would be owned by a Canadian corporation called Lithium Americas. It would be operated on the traditional lands of the Paiute and Shoshone tribes. The mine was approved this past January by the Bureau of Land Management, also known as BLM. BLM in this case stands for the Bureau of Land Management. You know, Tribal members, ranchers, and environmentalists all have concerns about the wildlife, the the wild land there, and the water the mine would destroy. Here is my interview with Will Falk about those lands and the occupation camp. Hello, Will.
1: Yeah, I'm really honored to be back for a second time. It's, um, it's a pleasure speaking with you.
2: Well, you are speaking to me from the Oregon-Nevada border. Is that correct?
1: I am. I am in a, a place called Thacker Pass, uh, which is um, in northern Nevada. It is um, it is a, a beautiful mountain pass that lies between um, the Montana Mountains to the north and the Double H Mountains to the south. It is about 20 miles west of the little community of Oravada, Nevada, right next to an even smaller agricultural community of, in the Kings River Valley, and it's about uh, 60 miles north of Winnemucca, Nevada, and this is a place that uh, is, is set for a uh, open-pit lithium mine, a Canadian corporation called Lithium Americas uh, wants to destroy nearly 6,000 acres of old-growth sagebrush habitat um, in in these beautiful mountains, so that they can uh, provide lithium for primarily electric car batteries. This this land that I'm on is uh, some of the best remaining sagebrush habitat. Sage grouse, uh, which is a, a beautiful bird uh, that is iconic to the American West, have already um, been destroyed to the tune of ninety seven to ninety nine percent of of pre European numbers in the
3: area.
2: We have seen uh sagebrush the sage grouse do their mating dance it is an incredible it's an incredible bird you are on the site of a proposed lithium mine.
1: The Thacker Pass um, where I'm sitting is predicted to provide uh, a quarter of the Earth's lithium supply um, once the mine is fully up and running. I, I Yeah, I, I guess I, I want to be really clear that I'm someone that's um, fought against fossil fuels and has been... Horribly concerned with climate change for a long time. I've I've spent time at pipeline blockades and um, I've spent time supporting um, campaigns that that oppose fossil fuel infrastructure. Um, but but to claim that destroying uh, 6,000 acres of, of beautiful habitat for countless creatures. Is somehow green, and somehow the path to saving the world to me is delusional, and it, it plays upon people's fears of climate change without really changing, um, changing the economy that has led to climate change without changing this um, this very modern idea that uh, we can continue to exploit the natural world. And that, if we just exploit the natural world in different ways that that we're going to save ourselves from from the ecological catastrophe that we found ourselves in so lithium americas is is really playing off playing off of this, and um they they already are operating a a lithium mine in Argentina, and um they <laughs> They have been able to raise a lot of money very quickly. They need something like $1.4 billion to uh operate this mine. And several weeks ago, they were able to raise $400 million in 24 hours. So investors also understand that this is a great opportunity uh, to capitalize on people's fears. And um I think that the Biden administration is going to – to really support these efforts, and in doing so, we're going to see some of the last remaining wild places on Earth and in the United States destroyed in the name of so-called green energy.
2: Lithium, a rare earth metal, I had no idea it was in the desert of southeast Oregon and northern Nevada. What does lithium look like? I mean, what is... Lithium and and how did it get out there in the desert?
1: Yeah, usually um, it, it, it usually comes in kind of a white powder. Um, it has a white color, and it's it, in fact, it's uh, the media um, have started to referring to it as the white gold because it, it really is um, creating something like a new uh, gold rush, a gold boom. And in a state like Nevada that has really um, been characterized by a boomer bust mining um industry for hundred and fifty years that 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 term seems very applicable um as to how it it it's um actually here in in Thacker pass and in um in in this area, this is actually a big volcanic caldera that I'm sitting in. So, something like 16 or 17 million years ago, there was a um active volcano that um you know, spewed its its lava everywhere and cut out this um caldera which uh, used to um used to be the home of a of a big lake, um inland lake that flowed through here and over millions of years as uh water in the great basin drained into this lake and, and sat in this lake and um over millions of years that water sank into the surface uh lithium um was one of the was one of the minerals that really settled into the earth here so it's it's um because of that unique uh, volcanic caldera uh that there's so much lithium here
2: and this is land owned by our federal government you're on land managed by the Bureau of Land Management BLM otherwise it's it's public land that you're on
1: it is indeed you know people often um not really understanding how government agencies like the Bureau of Land Management or the US Forest Service operate People often um, suppress or or express some surprise over how it is that these huge uh mining corporations can um, can use public land to to generate millions and even billions of dollars of of profit when um virtually none of that money goes back to the public and um the answer quite simply is is that public lands um The the idea behind public lands were always to make it easier for the government to um, use these lands or to give these lands to corporate enterprises. Um, The the Bureau of Land Management uh, is actually, as the name implies, the Bureau of Land Management, uh, exists so that the federal government can manage the way it leases uh, these lands to um, ranching corporations, mining corporations, um, um and, and that's that's what we're seeing here with the Pass Mine.
2: did the BOM have to um this this it's called NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act? Weren't they required to tell the public what they were doing, to allow the public to submit comments, uh and after they make a final decision, uh the be the public has the opportunity to appeal that decision did did this mine did BLM bring this mine through that whole process
1: yeah so there um there is actually a lot of controversy around that right now so um the environmental impact statement that is required through the national environmental policy act nepa that you referenced um that That is a process that the um the Department of energy has has estimated take usually takes four point one years to to happen, and the White House Office of Economic development has in a in a later estimation has said that that process usually takes three point six years to complete and here at Sacker Pass, the Sacker Pass final environmental impact statement happens in less than a year. Wow. Um, it was brought to the public's attention in late February of of two thousand twenty, right when COVID was hitting. Um and uh the local communities here, both both um uh local settler communities in Oravada and Kings River Valley, but also um indigenous communities um the, the Fort McDermott uh, Paiute and Shoshone, for example, there are many. We just we just met a bunch of people last night from from the Fort McDermott Reservation and, and um, Paiute and Shoshone community um, that feel like there was not adequate consultation. Uh, many community members uh, feel like they just heard about this project, and um, what's really interesting is that. <laughs> At this time um last year a, a whistleblower from within the BLN Nevada office in Winnemucca um brought uh brought a lawsuit, um a whistleblower lawsuit actually claiming that um the BLM uh Winnemucca office routinely disregarded NEPA. Um, so there's a lot of questions about why this happens so quickly. Um why uh why the public wasn't given more of an opportunity to comment um, more of an opportunity to participate in in these decisions and um local communities are are pretty upset and we went to a uh community meeting in Oravada uh last night at the Oravada, Oravada community hall and that meeting was uh organized by the the War community by their um city council, and they were hoping to um talk with with lithium america's america american subsidiary lithium nevada's about uh a quote unquote um good neighbor agreement um because they felt like their concerns about the mine weren't being addressed, that they weren't being heard, um, that this was all happening much too fast. And, of course, Lithium, Nevada, refused to um, show up to the meeting, even though they were also invited by phone or Zoom.
2: Oh, God.
1: And they refused um Saying that they did not want to, um, they did not want to engage with a community that had two active lawsuits pending against them. Which um, there are two lawsuits uh, that were filed in February, uh, one by a local rancher and and a ranching business, and one filed by four local environmental organizations. They both claimed, um, as your question, as your question is. Uh, they both claimed that BLM had violated uh the National Environmental Policy Act in um in in signing off on this final environmental impact statement that was in their view inadequate uh that um kept changing information over the course of that year so that it was really hard for the public to understand exactly what numbers and what studies they were using to um, support their contentions that this mine um, complied with the law.
2: What are the four environmental groups?
1: Um, uh, I think they are the Western Watersheds Project, um, mm-hmm. Basin and Range Watch, uh, Wild Lands Defense, and mm-hmm. the Great Basin Resource Watch are the are the four organizations.
2: So the BLM has made a final decision to allow this mine to go forth. It was way too quick for the public process for its impacts, I hear you say, and that it is now in the courts. And where about in the court system is it? When do we expect the courts to make a decision? And is there an injunction? Can the mining begin before the court hears it?
1: Um, So, yes, the the lawsuits, um, um, I think the second lawsuit was just filed on February 26th um, in the United States District Court uh, in Reno. Um, I think that the next step and what we're watching for is there will be – there should be what's called a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction hearing, um, which – that hearing will be about um, how severe the injury is to the people um, who are suing the Bureau of Land Management. And it will be about um, gaining at least a temporary pause on any sort of construction activities. Uh, I don't believe the last I checked um, a few days ago that that, uh temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction hearing has been scheduled, so we're still waiting for that. Um, there there is a possibility that the court uh does grant that um preliminary injunction to say, hold on everyone, let's take a look at what's really going on here. Um, you know, let's let's take a look at this environmental impact statement. However, um and i want this to be really clear to listeners we do not expect the courts to actually grant that preliminary injunction we think it's very unlikely that they will for several reasons probably the most important reason is the federal district bench the federal district judges in Nevada are terribly pro mining um they they have been appointed by um pro mining interests in Nevada um and and it it just seems incredibly unlikely that these judges will want to do anything that threatens this mine um, It's also you know the Bureau of land management courts often give a lot of deference to federal agencies in their own decision making processes, and the Bureau of Land Management has signed off on this mine um, but there's there's also um there's also the possibilities, uh, like I said, that, that the, the preliminary injunction is not granted and the case moves on to, to more litigation, more evidentiary-based hearings. And while that happens, the mine um, will likely be allowed to start construction um even though there's still the possibility that at a later date the court says that the environmental impact statement was um illegitimate and that there are major mistakes in it and um ultimately calls uh calls a halt to construction um at a later date and the reason why this is is something that could happen and often does happen in environmental cases like this is american law assumes that um people injury to to people can be um adequately adequately addressed through financial means by money so um if we let construction continue and at a later date we find that that construction um, should not have been allowed to continue. Everything will be okay because we'll just make the company pay money to the rancher in the ranching business and pay money to these four environmental organizations.
2: It's hard to put back sage-grouse habitat. It's hard to put it back so they can come back and live there once it's
1: destroyed. Absolutely. I mean, first, when we think about that, we have to understand that mining construction will kill countless creatures on the land right away. Um, there's, there's still a lot of snow up here and every morning when I wake up, one of my favorite things to do is to go out in the snow and see who's been, who's been running around on the snow and what tracks I can see. What fun. And we Good. see, we see mice and kangaroo rats and wow. foxes and okay. coyote tracks and pronghorn tracks and sage grouse tracks and, um. Wow jackrabbits and um there's no way to pay back a dead coyote's life to that coyote's community there's no way to pay back uh sage grouse uh a sage grouse lek that's lost one of one of the adult sage grouse Um,
2: when is the earliest possible time that the shovels could come
1: well that's that's kind of unclear right now. Um we have been afraid that the company uh might try and, and start construction any day now. Wow. Um they have the they have the um the the final decision from the Bureau of Land Management and they could start construction and then force one of these groups to um intervene to try and stop the construction. Um the the environment the final environmental impact statement and the what's called the plan of operations that uh BLM issues when they sign off on these projects uh requires uh Lithium Americas to gain all the pertinent local, state and federal permits and before they can start construction. That's that's BLM's actual language and mm-hmm. We know that there's at least five outstanding permits. There's four local water permits that haven't been issued. And a uh what's called an eagle take permit under the Endangered Species Act. There is at least one pair of breeding golden eagles in Thacker Pass that we see almost daily. Mm.
2: Um
1: and um uh, Lithium Americas has applied for a permit um a take permit allows them to harm those eagles and perhaps um, kill them even and perhaps kill them even um and they, they they have not gotten that permit yet, but um you know we we don't feel confident that um that they will be denied that permit
2: so in the same permit. To take the eagles that comes from the U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife, right, and 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 they also need a permit to take sage grouse.
1: There was there's a lot of um, again controversy around that. Um, the lawsuit filed by the four environmental organizations um, um, takes a lot of issue with with um, the fact that this Thacker Pass has been uh, designated a, a primary uh, habitat for sage grouse, and that comes with with a lot stronger protections, and it appears that the Bureau of Land Management has disregarded that um, that designation and and simply given lithium Americas permission to destroy that primary habitat. Um, so it's 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 a situation where um it appears that Bureau that the BLM has, has really disregarded uh the law in that aspect. But what um what really sucks is that uh it's up to it's up to um someone to sue them in court to actually stop it, uh and, and you know that that is taking resources away from environmental organizations to file those lawsuits. It puts the onus on on citizens to say wait a minute like you're not you're not following the law and now we have to pay money to lawyers and pay money to the courts to um, intervene and try and force you to follow the
0: law will we are going to take a break here we have been talking with will Falk at his camp occupying the site of a lithium mine approved by the BLM in January this is conservation today And we'll be right back. We are back. This is Conservation Today, and I am your host, Francis Etherington. We are talking with Will Falk, who has been one of the people occupying the site of a lithium mine in Nevada that has been approved by the BLM. We were talking about the Eagles, who also occupy that site eagles are protected under the eagle protection act and the migratory bird act the canadian mine owners are waiting for their permit their federal permit to kill i mean to take the eagles
2: have you seen the eagles on your morning walks
1: Oh yeah, we um, we see them every couple of days, and um, one of my my favorite um, experiences so far out here was we saw uh, the eagles in their in their mating dance, their mating flight pattern. Um,
2: Amazing.
1: Yeah, it was it was a truly uh, incredible sight. It, um, maybe for people who who don't know what that looks like, the the eagles. Um, sort of circle each other in this in this beautiful ritual and then they come together and um embrace in in intercourse and while they're while they're engaged in in intercourse they kind of fall and twist through the air until they until they pull away from in, each other in this really graceful um you know coming together and and coming apart uh flight and um it it is one of the truly, truly gorgeous um um acts of creation um that exist, I think, in 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 the natural world. It's it's amazing to see. Wow,
2: I'd love to see that. So you are actually camped on the site of the mind in an act of shall I call it civil disobedience?
1: Absolutely. Uh, we are, uh, my friend Max Wilbert and I, on January 15th, when the Bureau of Land Management issued their uh, record of decision of approving the mine, we came to the exact mining site and established a, a, a protest camp, uh, in within the boundaries of what uh, would be the open pit mine if lithium Americas has its way are the reason that we came here is we you know we don't have a lot of faith that that the legal system is gonna stop the mine um we We believe that uh you know instead of placing our faith in in institutions that um time and time again fail to protect the natural world that if we're gonna protect Sacra Pass and indeed if we're gonna protect the whole natural world, we're gonna to have to stop appealing um to people in power to do so and we're gonna to have to figure out how to stop the destruction ourselves. So uh we came and, and set up this camp. We've been um both Max and I are writers. Max is a is an amazing writer and an amazing photographer and uh, we've been trying to write and, and spread the word in a way that helps people really fall in love with Sacropath, and hopefully catalyzes uh, some courage in, in, in people's hearts and um, gets them to feel so strongly about this place that they want to come out and, and help us protect the place.
0: I want to remind our listeners that Will and Max's pictures and writings can be seen on their website uh, linked in the description to this podcast, protectthackerpass.org.
1: But we are planning, our strategy does um, really hinge on us getting enough people here that uh, we will stand in front of the construction equipment if it comes and um, try and make it physically impossible for them to start construction. We realize that that strategy will, uh, require waves and so, pond waves of people willing to, to be arrested. Um, but we've seen, we've seen people have that willingness. We're, we're seeing that, uh, over at line three in Minnesota. We, we saw that happen at Standing Rock. Um, I participated in, in the blockade of construction equipment at Mount Ikea in Hawaii where, um where where hundreds of people showed up to stand in front of construction equipment and um that's that's what we're we're trying to we're trying to mobilize people to come out here and um commit to commit to this campaign for as long as it takes to make sure that that this amazing and beautiful place isn't destroyed
2: And once people are there for a while, I imagine that they grow—they grow to know the desert, if I can call it a desert—and grow to
1: appreciate its subtle beauty. Yeah, it's um, it's technically actually sagebrush step, but this is such a beautiful place. I I mean, right now I'm looking out um, over old growth uh, sagebrush. uh, an author, Stephen Trimble, wrote a brilliant book called *The Sagebrush Ocean*, where he he compared uh, the Great Basin, the land, in the Great Basin, the sagebrush step, to to the way that the ocean um, waves rise and fall. And these, there's there's sagebrush here that are four and five feet tall, if if you can imagine that, and uh, these old-growth sage, many of them are well over 100 years old. They're very old beings. Um, they are keystone species here. So many other species have evolved to depend on, on the sagebrush. Uh, pronghorn antelope, some of the you know most graceful, beautiful creatures on Earth, uh, have evolved to depend on sagebrush for food. Um, sage grouse obviously as the name implies uh really need sagebrush for habitat for food um, but along with that uh the mountains here are incredibly picture, picturesque um, they they're dramatic and covered in snow and um it's it's a true pleasure to wake up in the morning and see the sunrise um over the Santa Rosa mountains here in the east Every day um I would say at least once an hour uh coyotes um sing and howl and yip and yap and laugh um for five or ten minutes straight somewhere somewhere in Thacker pass uh and it's it's an amazing experience to hear the coyotes so close uh we like i said we we see the golden Eagles pretty regularly. Uh, we've seen some other rare birds of prey, uh, the ferruginous hawk, which is apparently the biggest, uh, hawk, uh, on earth. And, um, these hawks, uh, their wingspread almost rivals the wingspread of the golden eagles, but they have these beautiful white and brown feathers. And, um, when they fly, they really, they really take on that, um, hovering, um, Aspect where it seems that they're almost pinned to the sky. Um, um, the at at night, the the dark skies here, the the skies um, and the stars are incredible. Um, the Milky Way is is just so vivid here, and it's a place that can get really cold and really windy, and we've experienced a lot of that. Um, but Everyone who comes here, they fall in love. Everyone who comes here, I think, comes away with a resolve to make sure that that the place isn't destroyed. Um, So there's certainly a a powerful magic that that really exists here. I
2: can't imagine an open pit mine. This sounds so archaic that we would still do something like an open-pit mine. I can't hardly imagine what that would look like.
1: Yeah, it um, it would be nearly 6,000 acres. Um, it would go uh, 400 feet down. Um, there's a lot of concern over um, the toxins that are kind of naturally already in the soil. So there's arsenic and antimony in the soil and um, disturbing it for the, for this open pit mine, um, will, will cause that those toxins to leach into the groundwater here. Um, the groundwater is the primary, um, source of water in, in Thacker Pass. And, um, in fact, a, a really interesting, <laughs> uh, fact about this is, um, this water management unit, uh, is is already known um you know the government freely states this that it's already overdrawn by thirty thousand acre feet, mm-hmm. and the mine would require another five thousand acre feet annually mm-hmm. um, so you know the question starts to become you if you overdraw local groundwater supplies by thirty five thousand acre feet every year, it doesn't seem like there's too many years that need to pass before there's just no water left in a place this is one of the driest places in the United States. um This is not a place where water shortages um can be can be withstood very well um and you know as we all know, water is life well water water is certainly life in in the sagebrush depths of northern Nevada, where um water can be can be so scarce.
2: Are most of the local people opposed to it, or is it the jobs issue making some in favor of it?
1: Uh, I think the jobs issue plays into it. Um, it really has been – I guess I want to back up and say that um, this area is um, has been economically devastated. COVID-19 has only made that worse um so this is a place where there is poverty and um it, it is a place where people are already struggling to get by um before last night i i assumed that there was probably a, a major percentage of the population that while they may be uncomfortable with the environmental effects um um would still welcome the mine because because of the jobs but at the at the community meeting last night it it really felt like folks understood that um whatever jobs are created by by this mine, they're not gonna be worth the water impacts, they're not gonna be worth the the pollution, they're not gonna be worth um the traffic that that this mine is gonna generate. Um one thing I haven't mentioned yet is um Thacker Pass uh lithium mine would um uh, use a new way of leaching lithium from the earth it's it 's a process that no other mine on earth is using, but it 's a process that would use sulfuric acid to essentially burn the lithium out of out of the earth and so this project would require a major um, sulfuric acid generation plant um just a few miles off site in order to. Get the sulfur that they need to make the sulfuric acid. They're going to have to truck in um, sulfur that is a waste byproduct of oil refineries of all of all things. <laughs> and when Lithium Americas and, and other people say that this mine is a solution to climate change, um, we need to understand that it actually depends upon the fossil fuel infrastructure um, to to operate. So. <laughs> Um, this is true for so many steps within something like electric car manufacturing. Electric car manufacturing really depends upon fossil fuel infrastructure, and this mine is a is a huge example of that. Um, but one of the major concerns of the local community is is that there have been estimates that there will be between 100 and 200 uh, trucks bearing uh, massive loads of sulfur. Um, that'll be moving through town and um Oravada the the main road from Oravada to the mine site um has both the Oravada uh community health center just like 15 yards off the road and the Oravada um elementary school just like 15 yards off the road so you know just taking basic um traffic uh statistics if there's between 100 and 200 trucks um, moving every day. These these big quantities of sulfur. Um, it mm-hmm. seems statistically certain that those trucks will crash at some point, and they will leak that sulfur at some point. And and people here understand that, and um, it seems like they understand that uh, a few jobs may not be worth um, having a sulfur spill next to a to school, and kids are, you know, playing at recess.
2: How long do they claim the mine would operate, and do they claim that afterwards they're going to put it back like it was?
1: Oh, yeah. So they, they anticipate the mine operating for 40 years it'll it'll take them a few years to get it up to sort of full capacity. Um uh yeah, they are claiming that um um they're gonna do mitigation and what what that looks like is um they're first, you know, they've gotta rip open the land to to form this open pit. Um when they rip open the land they're going to push all all of the earth that they don't use directly in the leaching process into this big pile on the west end of the mine. Um, then, uh, then, you know, they're going to remove the dirt, um, remove the earth and, and, uh, use that, that sulfuric acid leaching process. So they're going to cycle the earth through that process, um, and then add, add that to a pile somewhere and then um you know when they're finished um um and they they've extracted all the money they can from this place um they're going to bulldoze the dirt back into place um try and and try and regrow some sagebrush on top of of soil that's had its chemical composition totally um altered and um just call it good and and it'll be like uh, nothing ever happened here um,
2: yeah, right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's sage old growth sagebrush habitat is like an old growth forest. You don't you don't simply replant a few um sagebrush plants and um claim that the old growth sagebrush is back. Um it takes a lot of time for these communities to regrow themselves and um, it, it's. It, it will be hundreds of years before um, a place like this resembles anything like like it was before a mine destroyed it.
2: And and I imagine we don't even know what permanent damage would occur that can never come back.
1: Yeah. This. This. Like I said, this is. Uh, this would be a new, novel process, and. Um, I don't think that there has been enough studies. I mean, if, if, if no one's ever done this before, that means no one's ever done this before. And if no one's ever done this before, that means we, we don't know.
2: And so you have a camp
1: there where
2: the mine is expected to be. And how many folks have um, so far come in and out of the camp
1: We've had about 50, uh, individuals, uh, coming in and out of the camp. Um, that, that number, we're getting more all the time. In fact, we're going to have, um, a couple new people today and then, uh, four or five new people coming in this weekend.
2: That's a good number for a remote place in the winter. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we also want to be realistic that, um, you know if, if we're going to have a chance of of stopping the construction we probably are going to need you know 50 or 100 people to to be here um you know more or less permanently you know we're we're going to need to turn this into um a pretty stout um opposition camp we're especially um focused right now on spreading the word in um in environmental circles that have a direct action bent um uh, we have an opportunity right now. This is this is some of the first lithium mining happening in the United States. We're really at the beginning of of this whole capitalist movement to to uh greenwash uh an industry that's that's really destructive. And if we can put our foot in the ground and and, and really stop this lithium mine, we might have a we might have an opportunity to um cut uh cut uh industry off at the bud before um before it really gets going these minerals exist in some of the last places that haven't been destroyed and uh, if we're going to have a chance of of helping the planet to heal um from the last several centuries of destruction we have to make sure that those industries don't don't take root and don't um grow into into the behemoths that they could Well, you know, uh, all my friends
2: drive or aspire to drive electric cars. If lithium is so bad and destructive to mine, especially for the automobiles, what, what should we do? We can't go back to fossil fuels.
1: I think it's really important that we we really we take a really hard look at this and we need to understand that uh, humans have existed in our current evolutionary form homo sapiens sapiens for about 250,000 years and it's only been for about the last 100 years that that we have had automobiles so the notion that humans need automobiles um, to survive and for our species to thrive and flourish um is simply a bad assumption. Um it's simply not true. Humans have um survived and lived amazing lives and and have had high standards of living without automobiles um for for our entire history. Um, so for me the solution uh Really lies in in the fact that we're going to have to um, return to 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 simpler technologies that don't depend on exploitation of the natural world um so so we're going to have to figure out how to make um, cars a thing of the past and we're going to have to to learn to live with with much simpler and easier technologies,
2: yes, before there were cars, there were horses. I live 20 miles from the nearest store. My mind cannot bend around the fact that I can grow all my own food and produce, especially for an older person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there must be a different way to run transportation than horses or cars.
1: Yeah.
2: just have to have less people, I think, is the ultimate solution.
1: Yes, Um Um, Ecologists and biologists and other scientists have been telling us for a very long time that global human population has, has far exceeded the Earth's carrying capacity for humans. And what this means, there's a law of ecology that teaches us that when a population, whether that's humans or deer or mice, exceeds carrying capacity locally or globally, those populations always collapse it's not a question of if they'll collapse it's a question of when they'll collapse so if if um you know 1 billion humans is the earth's carrying capacity and we exist well over that for decade after decade and and then even what's worse and what we're already seeing right now is things like we are in the midst of the sixth mass extinction. We're already in the midst of ecological collapse where while humans continue to exceed carrying capacity, we're eradicating as many as 100 and 200 species a day from the face of the planet. There's a really scary uh, study by the Zoological Zoological Society of London that estimates that... um, Compared to uh, vertebrate populations in 1970, we're over, there's over 60% less um, vertebrate uh, wildlife than today. So that means all vertebrate members, all vertebrate individuals, um, we've lost over half of, the, of those that existed in 1970. Um <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Let me ask you um one other question about lithium, yeah, and is this lithium mine that that you are camped on the proposed mine? Is this the first lithium mine in the United States the only one
1: there's one um I think it's called silver peak in in Nevada that is extracting some lithium. Um, I believe that there's a small mine in North Carolina or something um but right now, the United States accounts for less than uh i think one percent of lithium production in the United States or in the world um but Sacker pass again if if this mine happened, um, it would provide a full twenty five percent of of current global lithium production
2: i see a goal of the biden administration to produce it locally instead of importing it cuz who knows what the environmental impacts are from from third world countries that or any other country that has lithium mines
1: yeah there's a um most lithium right now is being extracted from argentina uh chile and bolivia Actually Lithium Americas is um part of a company in in Argentina called Minera XR. They're partnered with a, the primary lithium uh producing corporation in the world, a Chinese company called uh Gansang Lithium. The the Minera XR uh mine in Argentina Uh, There has generated many, many complaints from local and and local indigenous communities in Argentina. Um, In fact, there was a a report published by an um, Argentine environmental organization called, I think, the Foundation for the Environment and Natural Resources, um, where they actually went to the communities and interviewed locals about what they really thought about the mine, and then published um insights from that and many of the locals down there um, their claims are eerily similar to what are happening um here in Nevada. They said you know the uh they the company did not adequately consult with them um they they promised more jobs than actually materialized mm-hmm. um, they did not they downplayed the water pollution and um what's also interesting is many of these communities around that mine in Argentina are also um big cattle ranching communities, and many community members are noticing that their cattle are getting sick um that there's much less water. Um, and they, they suspect that the lithium mining is the, is the primary culprit. Um, so, uh, and, and then one of the major, um, points of that, um, study was that, um, Lithium Americas, the company that they're involved in, um, really, uh, violated, uh, principles of, of the United Nations, free, prior, and informed consent with indigenous communities. That seems like the pattern that's playing out right now. So it seems like Lithium Americas might have a little bit of an M.O. for doing this kind of thing. And um, I'm really hoping that that people here in the United States can, can take note of that.
2: That's all fascinating and troubling, that our turn away from fossil fuels that we're turning to something else that is also very destructive. Um lithium.
1: All materials, um, all minerals where they're found, um, they're there for a reason. They're there, they fulfill an, an ecological purpose in the natural community that they're part of. And extracting those um those minerals, especially on an industrial scale um there's there's no way that you can do that in in a way that's sustainable you know to me again the the solution has to has to go back to using non exploitative technologies um, um,
2: I look forward to visiting your camp if it's still there this summer,
1: yeah, we expect- would love that.
2: Uh, do- <laughs> you expect to still be there this summer? Of course, you're going to be there until it goes away, right?
1: That's our commitment, yep.
2: Why don't you tell us your website where, where people can sign up and um, propose to come?
1: Yep, we have a website. It's uh, protectthackerpass.org. Thacker is spelled T-H-A-C-K-E-R. So protectthackerpass.org, email that website through uh, our contact page and get in touch with us, and um, we can coordinate with you coming to the camp. Uh, There is a donate button on on our website. We anticipate at some point that there will need to be legal defense funds, there will need to be uh, bail posted, um but also um we're we're really trying to use those funds to to generate even more interest in in the camp. Yeah, you can find out um so much more about what's happening here at protectbackpast.org and um I think there's a lot of really great writing on the website um people might enjoy just uh, hearing about reading about our experiences up here too.
2: Well, Will, I want to thank you very much for speaking with us again today. It's been very inspiring. Well,
1: thank you very much for having me, Francis. It was it was really a pleasure.
0: We have been talking with Will Falk, one of the occupiers of a lithium mine site approved by the BLM in January. This is Conservation Today. I am your host Francis Etherington and we'll be back in a few weeks.
3: When I was a child, my family would travel Down to western Kentucky, where my parents were born And there's a backwards old town that's often remembered So many times that my memories are worn And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River, where paradise lay. Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away Well, sometimes we'd travel right down the Green River To the abandoned old prison down by Avery Hill Where the air smelled like snakes and we'd shoot with our pistols But empty pop bottles was all we would kill And daddy won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay Well I'm sorry my son but you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away he came with the world's largest shovel and they tortured the timber and stripped all the land well they dug further coal till the land was forsaken then they rolled it all down as the progress of man and daddy won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County down by the Green River where paradise lay well I'm sorry my son but you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's cold train is hauled it away When I die letting my ashes float down the Grand River Let my soul roll on up to the Rochester Dam I'll be halfway to heaven with paradise waiting just five miles away from wherever I am. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River, where paradise lays? Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late and ask me. Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away.